Uh, today, we are in week two of a series we're doing titled Dear Skeptic. And in this series, what we're doing is we're speaking to folks from a skeptical, who have a skeptical perspective towards Christianity, and we're taking some of the most common questions that, 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 they, that, that they bring up that I've heard over the years, I'm sure many of you have too, and we're speaking to them. And what's a little different about this series is that uh, while usually we open up the Bible and we try to understand a part that's in it on Sunday morning, when we're talking to people who aren't yet there with Jesus, that's not actually the most helpful uh, way to go. What we need to do is get to the why underneath the what of Scripture. And that is what we're going to do today. I will engage the Bible a little bit differently, and, uh, and uh, we're going to enter into some territory that I think many of us are going to experience as new for church. We're going to have a conversation about, about sex this morning, and my in-laws are here, which is um, <laughs> good to have you guys here this morning. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about this, this, uh, this uh, perception that Christianity has outdated views of sex, that Christianity is too restrictive in its understanding of sex, and that, um, and, and that it's, it's an out antiquated, outdated view that needs to, to go away. And that's what we're going to speak to. And I hope that we can do that this morning honestly. I think that's really important that we're honest about this. I hope that we can um, laugh a little bit. Thank you for laughing. Um, and I hope that we can also do it with tremendous grace. Uh, I want folks to know God's heart in, in this. I want, I want, if you're not there with Jesus, I really want you to know what I believe is that God's heart for us in this is good, that he wants the best for us, and that's why the Bible teaches what it is, and that's what I'm going to try to convince you of this morning, okay? All right, um, let's go ahead and pray, and we'll, we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this opportunity to have this conversation. I thank you that you speak into all parts of our life, and Lord, wherever we are on this journey with you, uh, I pray that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that we would have hearts soft enough to, to listen with our ears, and that we would have minds willing to engage the things that, that you've put on my heart, that your word kind of puts forth, Lord, and I just pray that, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, Jesus. You are our rock. Lord Jesus, you are our Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. It's pretty simple, really. I'm the uh, local rep for ChristianMingle.com. Uh, recently, we've got some reports of people not acting very Christian on dates. So, uh, new company policy. Now, whenever anyone registers for the site, uh, they send me over to the house, and I just do a quick look around, ask them a few questions just to make sure they're Christian. Hey, uh, Brittany, I'm with uh, Christian Mingle. We just got your application. No, what do you mean? I didn't sign up for Christian Oh, yeah, Mingle. one of your friends signed you up as a joke. Okay, everybody says that. And uh, when did you get saved? I think 12, maybe. Youth Camp First Baptist Church. Okay, and uh, do you still go there? Yes, but it's not called First Baptist. Oh, uh, so that's something more like trending now. It's like Mosaic or Cross Point or like Watermark. Thrive Church, actually. Yeah, you walk into the building, you're not sure if it's a church or a banana republic. Hey, Chad, I'm with Christian Mingle. We just got your application. I just need to come over quick, ask you a few questions. Well, just take a look around the house. Hey, just make sure everything's good. Okay, well, Is this even legal? Pretty fast Wi-Fi you got here. You got a filter on this thing? I'm going to give you a mainstream band. You give me the Christian equivalent. Justin Timberlake? Toby Mac. Katy Perry? Francesca Battistelli. Uh, Nickelback? Uh, skillet? Okay, and uh, Switchfoot? Switchfoot. 
Anything information we need to know in here? Oh, what do we have here? That's gonna be a problem. While I was having a look around, I did find your phone. You took my phone? Yeah, just a couple things quick I want to go over with you. Looking at here, uh, Tinder and Snapchat are on page one, and your Bible app is on page two in a folder, and it needs to be updated. Look, Google Plus? I mean, Christian or not, who's using Google Plus? In 2011, I noticed that you favorited a tweet with a swear word. Okay. Mission trips? Uganda, 2009. Dominican Republic, 2011. And World Race, 2013. Okay, so two? No, that's three. Okay, the World Race. Uh, I'm talking about real mission trips. We don't count church-sponsored sightseeing tours. Oh, what do we got here? That's gonna be a problem. We've heard it all recently. We've got reports of people going to R-rated movies. Hold on, Left Behind, is this the Kirk Cameron version? I don't think so. Okay. We've heard of people not praying before meals. Let's say you're a nice young Christian woman and we're on a Christian mingle date. Things are going well and we're back at your place eating popcorn and watching Fireproof. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay, love the book collection. Uh, <laughs> these candles are a little too Catholic-y for me. What about this? Sure. No! And Michael's or Hobby Lobby? Hobby Lobby. And Ulta or Sephora? Sephora. Wrong. Trick question. Christians shouldn't be that concerned with outward appearances. Are you serious? Walgreens is fine. Target, maybe. Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Love's like a hurricane. I am a tree. I can't feel my face when I'm with you. But I love Well, you shouldn't love it, and you shouldn't know that song. Is that safe for the whole family? I don't think so. I'm gonna be real honest with you, Brittany. Uh, I just... I'm not seeing the fruit. I don't know what else I can tell you. I... I volunteer at a soup kitchen on Thanksgiving. I work in the church nursery every week. I got a Bible verse tattooed on my shoulder in Hebrew. If there's anything I can do to prevent someone from a life of destruction, I feel like my work here is done. Don't know who that is. That is John Christ, and he's a comedian. Uh, and he has made a career kind of making fun of the Christian subculture. And, uh, and one of the things I appreciate about John Christ is he's able to, especially for folks that are inside of the Christian subculture, to kind of hold up a mirror and give us a perspective on some things, the way they might look to people who are on the outside of it. Humor oftentimes does that, and I think Christ accomplishes that, even though it's not reality, even though it's a caricature and uh, of, of what is actually happening, I think that at times it can cause us to pause and say, huh, I wonder what this looks like to people on the outside. And, and one of the things that I think we have to begin uh, with when, when having this conversation in church is to say, uh, I think that when it comes to the Christian view of sex, um, for a lot of people who haven't grown up in, in church, who are on the outside looking in, it kind of seems a little strange and maybe sometimes a little ridiculous, the, the Christian understanding of sex. And sometimes I think at best, uh, maybe people see it as quaint and a little outdated. Uh, and at worst, actually, what we're seeing is that when outsiders are looking in at the Christian understanding of sex, is that it's repressive, it's, uh, it's abhorrent, it's even hateful, is some of the language that's been used. And these voices, there's voices that have, have said this historically as our culture has gone through really some tremendous shifts in the last 50, 60 years, and even more accelerated in the last couple of decades. But there are voices that have not been at all happy with the Christian perspective of sex. To give you one of uh, the more vocal, influential voices, uh, in the past there was a woman named Margaret Sanger, 
and she actually was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and she wrote a book called The Pivot of Civilization. And in it, she very influentially talked about how, he, how th- she thought Christians and sex, uh, Christians were just moralists who promoted self-denial and wanted to suppress what we didn't need to suppress. Uh, another more famous skeptical voice uh, who is the late Christopher Hitchens, very famous influential voice, uh, who, who died not too long ago. He wrote a book called God is Not Great, and, uh, and the subtitle is How Religion Poisons Everything. And because he hated the dialogue uh, with Christians in the public sphere so much, in that book he basically says Christians ought to be banned, uh, all religions should be banned from the public discourse on sex and sexuality. Uh, another voice, and I share this one because I think it captures uh, where, where some of the, the folks are today, is Bertrand Russell, who is a famous atheist who wrote a number of years ago in a book, Why I'm Not Christian, he said this, the worst feature, the worst feature of the Christian religion is its attitude towards sex. Right? Those, are, those are some stronger voices, but what I think many of us are realizing, uh, if you're a Christian in the room today, these, these famous voices are joined by a whole lot of people today, maybe to lesser degrees, but people are not getting it uh, when it comes to the Christian view of sex. And I've had so many conversations with folks over the years, uh, when I was in high school, to college, to, um, to just different jobs I have had with coworkers, and folks just, just say, I don't get it. I do not understand why Christians believe what they believe about sex. Why would God even care who I sleep with. Why do Christians make such a big deal about sex? And that's what we got to speak to. And, and, and the first thing I'd like to say is uh, I think one of the reasons people have gotten this impression is, is, is honestly we haven't done a good job communicating about sex, and we haven't done a good job in the church communicating the why of what we believe about sex. Why do we believe what Christians believe about sex. I don't think we've done well explaining that. And actually, I don't even think we've done well explaining the what Christians believe about sex. So let's, let's not continue to assume that. Let me define what I would say Christians believe about sex. Here's David's attempt to go through the Bible and summarize what is a Christian theology of sex. Uh, it, it would be this. Sex is a gift of romance, pleasure, intimacy, and procreation given by God uniquely and exclusively for marriage. Let me say it again. Sex is a gift of romance, pleasure, intimacy, and procreation given by God uniquely and exclusively for marriage. That's what Christians believe. That's what I think the Bible teaches about sex. If you go through it and you survey it and you put it all together. And and so the question is, why do we believe that? And here's the the simplest answer that I can come up with. Marriage is the only relationship that can handle sex in a fully healthy way. That's why I think God gave us this boundary for sex, because marriage is the only human relationship we have that can handle all that sex is in in a healthy way. And when we take it outside of the relationship of marriage, what I believe is that uh, sex has tremendous dangers and pitfalls, and, and will create hurt and damage in people's lives. Um, and, and maybe this is helpful. Has anybody seen the movie? I know many of you have. Uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron. 
What does that have to do about sex? Well, there's this scene. It's actually my favorite scene in the entire movie where I think the Avengers have just gotten done fighting a battle and they're, they're relaxing together in Iron Man's house or penthouse or whatever it is at the top. And on the table is Thor's hammer, his, I think, Majolner. And if you don't know, the only person who can pick up that hammer is Thor. He's the only one that can do it. And there's the scene where all of the Avengers, that's Thor, uh, he is, uh, they're all trying to pick up his hammer, and none of them can do it. And, and so he looks at them, and he says, what, you guys who love Avengers, when they can't lift it up? You are not worthy, right? You can't pick up that hammer because you are not worthy. And, uh, and the reason that comes to mind is because I think it's a really good analogy for the Christian understanding of sex. When it comes to any other relationship that tries to pick up the hammer of sex, none, none of them are, are worthy. And, and actually, I, I think that's not a bad way to understand it. There, there is nothing that can walk over, no other relationship that's able to, to take everything that's encompassed in sex in terms of intimacy, in terms of vulnerability, in terms of commitment, in terms of the possibility of giving birth to another life. There's no other relationship that can handle that in a healthy way. A dating relationship certainly can't lift that hammer, right? A, a casual sexual relationship for sure cannot lift that hammer. The only relationship that is ready for sex is when the knot is tied and the I do's have been given till death do us part. That's the Christian understanding of sex, and that's why. Now, here's part of the problem. What have Christians communicated when it's come to sex? Uh, I think what we've communicated is the what, and that's a negative what, that I've put up there. And mainly it's this, don't you dare even think about having sex until you get married, you hormone-driven teenagers, right? That's what the Christian church has communicated about, about sex. And, uh, and, and you know that scene in, in the John Christ uh, deal where they're sitting on the couch and he's like, is this okay? And he puts his hand on his knee, right? And then he goes back and goes, is this okay? He's like, yeah. And then he goes, is this okay? He goes, no, right? That's, that's the conversation that if there has ever been a conversation in church, that's the only conversation that's ever been had. It's always about these, these boundaries, and we have never gotten to the wire, the understanding of what is there and for what reason. And so all, all we've ever heard is don't do it. If you, if you grew up in church and your church talked about this, my guess is that's all you ever heard, is don't do it. And we, we never got into the theological reasons of why. And I think, I think the church has failed. And let me also say, I don't think it's been super effective. I don't think don't do it has really worked. Uh, and just to give an example here, I have a friend who um, shared that uh, he went to a Baptist youth group going up. And in this youth group, one day the youth minister was talking about sex uh, no, no, he's talking about making out. I'm sorry, not sex, making out. And he was trying to dissuade all these students from uh, making out. And so he told them this story about how this um, couple, and my friend wasn't even sure if it was true, went and made out somewhere. And when they were driving back, they actually uh, ended up in front of a train and their car got hit and they died. And this was the story that was... Um, I don't think it's true. This was the story that was shared. And I mean, what's the message being sent there? If you make out, God's going to smite you, right? Like, that is not good theology. And it's, it's also not helpful um, 
or, or effective. And, and so uh, did, it, did, did that keep any students from making out who were making out before? Did it stop them? Uh, I'll tell you, actually, um, that kind of stuff does give me pause. It did give me pause as a kid, but I don't think it's effective for most people. And, um, and when he and his girlfriend, who were both a part of the youth group, the next time they went and made out, when they got done, what he said is she handed him the keys and winked at him and said, watch out for those trains on the way home. <laughs> so uh, not super helpful, right? Um, uh, yes. Uh, another thing that I think we really got to acknowledge here is that there's a hypocrisy issue that folks from the outside see when they're looking in on this. Um, even though Christians have uh, this view of sex as a gift only for marriage, I want to say to you guys on the outside, that doesn't mean Christians need to pretend that we get this right and that we're great at this, okay? Uh, we haven't. Our witness has not been great with this. And, uh, and let's be honest, purity is just as hard to live into for the unmarried Christian couple as it is for the unmarried couple. Um, what we have to not do as Christians is hypocritically point the theological finger at somebody else when we've got a plank in our own eye on this one. But this is something that we approach with grace and we enter into with admittance of our own brokenness as well. That's how we got to talk about this. Um, Okay, here's, here's the next thing, the second thing that I think we need to mention. I think the impression that we have given to folks on the outside of Christian faith is, is actually that sex is bad. Uh, I think that a lot of people, hearing what Christians have talked about, have been like, well, Christians must believe sex is bad. Is that, is that what Christians think, sex is bad? And, and, and I really do know that folks are getting that impression, that, that they think, well, Christians do you not like sex? Uh, I had a conversation with someone who once said to me, it's almost like you Christians talk about sex like it's a virus that you don't want to catch. And this dude was like, I'm not sure I'm there. Um, and, and, and it's kind of funny, but I like that's what he understood. And it's not just him. Uh, I, I want to share with you a voice from Mark Clark, who's a pastor who didn't grow up in the Christian faith, uh, who was a skeptic, who came around, and he, he shares um, in a chapter that he wrote about sex that was really helpful uh, as I wrote this message, what his experience was. He says this, growing up outside the church, I was convinced that this was the Christian view, sex is bad. I thought God was against sex because everything I had heard about it from church leaders was negative. Uh, as a nine-year-old at a Christian summer camp, it was pretty clear, as one preacher put it, that sex is dirty, nasty, nasty vile, and wrong, so save it for the one you love. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he said, and when I was a teenager, I learned that some churches prayed to Mary because she was a virgin, the very opposite of what I wanted to be, like my friend from earlier. This was enough for me. My body filled with hormones and my head full of music videos to keep Christianity at arm's length, right? That was his experience as an outsider. Is it a fair assessment? No, it's not accurate as to what Christians believe, but it was his experience and impression, and we've got to recognize that, that we have communicated in some way or another sex is bad. And actually, if you look historically and you read uh, some of the Christian teaching throughout the years, we really have struggled with this. Even really wonderful Christian leaders over the years, early church fathers, 
uh, really struggled with this idea. They didn't understand it, and they weren't reading uh, the Bible on it. And I think a lot of generations have struggled to really have this conversation um, and, and, and really engage the Scripture, because actually, if you do study what the Scripture says about sex and the Bible, which is the actual inspiration and authority for all Christian teaching, and you say, what does it say about sex? Let me assure you, it doesn't say that sex is bad. Let me read you guys a passage from one biblical book in particular you might be familiar with. Uh, It's actually snippets. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruit. Shall I continue? (laughs) Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your stature is like that of a palm, and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit. And I'm blushing like a middle schooler. Um, (laughs) But let me tell you all, that is straight out of the Bible, and I'm blushing now, just like I did with the first time I read it then. And, and what that is, that is from the book of the Song of Songs, which is primarily and firstly a biblical book which explores the wonders and depths and nuances of romantic love, of which, obviously, sexual relationships are a part of. Uh, sexual love is a part of. And, and even though, actually, if you know a little bit of history, you know that this is a book that the church has understood to, in some ways, communicate uh, the relationship between Christ and his church and the love that is there. Let me assure you, the church has never understood that this sexual part was analogous. What what it said, though, is that this depth of love is a way to understand the relationship that God has with us, that Christ has with his church. And, 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 and it explores that. But first and, and foremost, as you can see, this is a book in the Bible that really talks about and the wonders and celebrates uh, romantic love between two human beings. So, so let's do some better theologizing. Let's not be afraid to talk about it. The Bible doesn't teach sex is bad. The Bible teaches that sex is actually good. And if I had more time, I would take you to Genesis 1, where um, after God has uh, created Adam and tried to run all the other animals by him and none work out and he puts him to sleep and he makes Eve out of his own body, the very first words that Adam ever says in the Bible when he sees uh, the naked Eve for the first time, he goes, here now, you know, it's like, all right, like, that's how it is in the Hebrew, that's how it comes out, I would show you that, if we had more time, I'd take you to 1 Corinthians, where Paul actually talks to Christian couples and gives instructions uh, for their sex lives, and not only tells them that they ought to be having sex, he actually says that they should be doing it frequently, Um, and we'll do that one Sunday, and I think... uh, (laughs) I think our MOPS group uh, had a conversation about that this week, and um, there, there are some happy families out there right now. Um, <laughs> so, so I just want to be clear, uh, Christians believe that sex is a, is a tremendous gift given by God. Um, here's the last thing that, that we need to engage here. I think maybe the main reason people struggle with the Christian view of sex is simply that they don't agree with it. 
They just don't agree with it. They have a different view. They, they want to live in a different way. And they don't want to buy into this idea that sex is only a gift for marriage. I think that's the reality. And there are all kinds of reasons why people may come to, to understand it uh, in this way, may have that perspective. But I think one of the things we really have to acknowledge here is, is that there have been tremendous cultural shifts happening really for the last 60, 70 years in our country uh, that have really changed public perceptions ar around this whole conversation on sex. And, uh, and, and, and we uh, have moved definitely from, uh, from a more progressive cultural understanding that just happened to align with some Christian values to one that, uh, that, that, that is, that's moving in a different kind of direction that may or may not align with Christian values. And, uh, and I think we've got to really recognize that. And I think what's underneath it is this, a, th this idea that actually sex is, is God. That's actually what Mark Clark uh, said when he talked about this. He thinks that a lot of Americans, even if they don't realize that, are subconsciously living as though sex is God. And what he means by that is it's not just one good, it's that it's the ultimate good. That, that for us to experience life in its greatest fulfillment, sex and sexuality has to be a part of it, and that we seek it above anything else. Uh, that, that, that sexual love is the apex of love, and there is no other kind of love or fulfillment in life that, that, that can, that can, that can um, uh, rival it. And, and so... Uh, I, I think, and I think that that he's reading the cultural currents right there. there. There's another fellow who's an author named Paul O'Callaghan who said it like this: We live in a society that exalts erotic love as the supreme fulfillment available to human beings. Uh, so that's the statement. How can friendship love compete with the sizzle of sex in the arena of public attention? So in that second line, what he's saying is, is when you look at where our attention is drawn to and all the marketing and all the ways that we, we are captivated, we watch the shows on TV, the things that have happened, they've all moved towards this, this place where sex is so essential and part of it. And that they're, they're, you know, they're even designing TV shows so that the first episode of that new thing that comes out on Amazon Prime has sex in there so they'll capture you. That speaks to where we are as a culture and what's going on. And, uh, and I think that we have got to recognize that what's happened is that sex has taken a great part of most of the American cultural identity for most people. And to feel fulfilled, people see, feel that they need to pursue their sexuality as they see fit, and that anything that restricts those freedoms uh, will limit their emotional health and development. And, 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 and even beyond that, I think the implication here is that if, if we can throw off all the boundaries and restrictions and cultural mores that we've had on sex, we're gonna move to a more wonderful world. And, uh, and just to uh, give you again here the voice of someone who was very influential in America at the beginning of this movement, Margaret Sanger, this is what she says, and listen for the sex of is God theology in here. Sexual liberation is the only method to finding inner peace and security and beauty. The only method. Remove the constraints and prohibitions which now hinder the release of inner energies and most of the larger evils of society will perish. Through sex, Mankind will attain the great spiritual illumination, 
which will transform the world and light up the only path to an earthly paradise. That is incredible uh, what, what she is saying there. She is talking about sex like sex is salvation. She's talking about sex like Christians talk about Jesus. And, and, and I, I recognize that is a voice on the much more progressive side of this. But, but I, and, I, and I recognize not everybody's that far, but what I want to say is the undercurrents of that, whether we realize it or not, are, are operational in our world today. They're happening. And I really do think it's helpful to step back and also step out of our cultural moment and step into a more historical perspective here. Do you, do you realize this is not the first time in history we've gone this route? Not by a long shot. And another place where it was happening was, was actually in the first century Greco-Roman world where the Bible was written. Um, and, and, and a lot of people don't realize this, but the New Testament was written in a time where almost every kind of relationship and sexual pursuit was happening uh, to an even greater percent than it was happening today. And a lot of historians have spoken to this, but I'll just name one, Thomas Hubbard, who said that in Jesus's world and Paul's world that they wrote into, there wasn't just marital sex, there was premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, sexual slavery, pederastery, temple prostitution, orgies, and every other thing you don't want to talk about with your mama. Um, I added that last part. Our sexual liberation in America is a repeat of, of history in a new cultural context. And, and I, I think that that's really important to, to recognize when we study history. And I think the question is, where has it gotten us, right? What has this led to? And, and, uh, and this is where, actually, if you're skeptical and, and on the outside looking in at this, I would... I, I, I want to ask some questions, not to point a finger, but to simply, to simply help us do some self-reflection and say this, what have been the results of sexual activity outside of marriage in your life, right? What have been the results you've seen of sex outside of the biblical boundaries uh, in, in the world, uh, right? Think, think about this. If you've had a casual sexual relationship, how did that feel? Was that fulfilling? Right? Or did it actually leave you wanting more? Right? If you got married, how easy was it to be honest with the person you married about all your other sexual partners? Right? How, how did it feel when you told them? Or have you not told them? How much emotional baggage did you carry into your marriage because of those experiences? Wouldn't it have been wonderful not to have to carry that baggage? right? Wouldn't it have been wonderful not to have to share that or compare that and let the only person who knows that in your life be the, be the one that, that, that you married, right? Uh, then, y'all, what happens when a couple not fully committed to one another in marriage gets pregnant, right? Is that an, that's, that's not an easy thing to navigate. And then what are the long-term effects on those people and, and that, that child, and then I'm, I'm going to go here. If that pregnancy was terminated in an abortion, what, what effect did that have? Were there negative long-term effects uh, just if we just look at the, the man and the woman who were involved in that, right? And, and then think about this. Since we have lowered our, our moral expectations of sex 
And there are things now readily available like porn. Just take porn, for instance. Uh, what has been the result of an increase of porn in our world today? How have you seen porn affecting people's lives, right? Has porn done negative things to people's relationships with one another, to dating relationships? Has porn had a negative impact on, on your marriage? Right? Again, I'm not sharing this to point any fingers. Please, I want to tell you, uh, I share in, in everyone's human brokenness here, okay? But what, what I think the evidence says to us when we actually look at this it, is that those other perspectives on sex are not working out so well for us, right? And, and I think Christians, you know, we are tempted to believe this lie. You know, maybe, maybe I don't have to take this seriously. Maybe it is better. It's a lie, man. And, and I, I want to name it. It is not true. Uh, God's way is better. We are more free when we follow it. And, 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 and I hope that just asking those questions and doing that reflection will, will enable us to, to see that in a way that maybe we haven't before. And, and the, the other thing I, I want to point out is that if we keep sex inside the boundaries of marriage that God has given to us, every single thing that I named when I asked those questions, do you realize that all those problems go away? Every single one of those issues is no longer an issue if we keep sex inside of the biblical boundaries that God, that God gave us. And, and I'm not saying that then sex will be easy and perfect for Christians. It's not, right? There's still issues to work through. I'm saying look at how, look at how much better this is uh, when we follow God's way. That's what I am convinced of. And, and I, I, I'll tell you, every time I've stepped outside of those boundaries in my own life, it has not led to good things. And I am regularly reminded as a pastor, uh, and I encounter this in people's lives, why there are more than 60 prohibitions in the Bible uh, about sex. It's not because the Christian view of sex is outdated. It's because God loves us so much that he is trying to help lead us to life and love and healing that is the best for us. And what we've got to do is trust that God's love is better than all of those other false narratives of love that, that, that are out there. And you know, uh, but let me also say this. Um, this is also where the gospel is so much more beautiful, right? Wherever you are on this, God's love for you has not changed. God loves you unconditionally as one of his own dear children. And if you've sinned and missed the mark, God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you could be forgiven because he loves you so much. And, and, and in his resurrection, there is the promise that there is hope here and that there's healing even in the places where we've experienced brokenness, uh, that, that this can be better and it will be better. And I'd just tell one quick story here. I know uh, a, a couple who um, were in their... 20s and 30s through through the 60s. And so uh, they lived into the sexual revolution in America. They participated in it. They, they were involved in it, and, uh, and it didn't leave them fulfilled. And what happened uh, in those years is after they, they tried that and came out of it, both of them found Jesus and started following him in a new way. And when they met each other and started dating, they said, we know what that was like. We're going to try to do this differently now. We're going we're gonna to try to live God's way on this and only leave sex for when, when we get married. And so they did it. Um, they, uh, and, and the thing that, uh, 
she shared with me when, when they actually got married that night uh, of their wedding, something that was not new on any level for either of them totally became new to them. It was a whole different experience. It was, it was like God totally flipped it over and made it real. And the reason I know this story is because those two people are my parents. And it was weird even to have this conversation with my mom. Uh, but but I, I know this on a personal level, and, and I just want to say God's way is better. And, and wherever you are on this, that, that's what I believe, and I do believe God wants better for, for you and us. And, and, I, and I know that God can help us walk this path, and he will. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy uh, in all of our lives where there needs to be healing, where, Lord, we have so easily gone astray. Lord, I I pray that you would uh, help us see this. And as I've spoken hard things, Lord, I pray that, that, Lord, uh, your grace would fill that, that, that your love for us would overcome, that your uh, heart for our goodness uh, w- would emerge here. And Lord, I pray that if we need to keep talking about this, that folks would be willing to do that and that, that your way could be known in their lives, Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.